People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Now, I wonder if you're one of those people who has been somewhat stunned by a documentary called My Octopus Teacher. Craig Foster's documentary about a friendship he formed with an octopus and with the most extraordinary visuals and music and all sorts of things. And in the studio today, I have Kevin Smuts, an award-winning film score composer specializing in music for films, documentaries and commercials, and who's now entering his 11th year in the industry. And Kevin continues to impress his clients with his ability to understand emotion and enhance the story of each production he works on. And certainly the music of this film, My Octopus Teacher, enhances the entire experience amazingly. So, Kevin, it's great to meet you and welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's also nice to have just seen the film because everyone has been raving about it. It's gone mad on social (laughs) media. It's won awards and things. Mm. And I hadn't seen it. I was one of the odd ones out. (laughs) That's all right. And I sat down the other night and watched it. So I'm now all agog and dying to hear what you have to say. (laughs) So, Kevin, I think let's begin. Obviously, there's lots I want to talk to you about and all the other things you're involved with. But let's talk about this film, My Octopus Teacher. And how did you come to be involved in the first place? So I've been working with Craig on his movies for quite a long time. The first one I had a very small role in was part of my job shadow of Grant McLachlan back in 2007. It was called Shark Man. Basically, Grant asked me to do a couple of minutes just as a a test field, and it was for one of the films produced by Craig and his brother Damon Foster. And at the end of that production, he suggested me to someone else who was doing a fairly low-budget production, and then he had some low-budget work, and I sort of was cutting my teeth <laughs> or getting my foot in the door into the yeah. industry. It um, must be a difficult industry to get into, it, let's it face it. It really is, but yeah. that, that mentorship of Grant was, mm. was so pivotal and so important, and it was doing those early projects that sort of I, I got better, and, and then... I ended up working with Craig for, I don't know, the last 10 years or or so. So therefore, you know his style as well. Yes. But I don't think I've seen anything else of his. But is this particular film very different? I would like to think it is Mm -hmm. because of its underwater world. Other underwater things I've done with him involved crocodiles. And we sort of created a quote-unquote (laughs) docu-horror. It was a lot more scary than this one. Into the dragon's lair. Exactly. Touching the dragon. Exactly. The dragon's feast. All about crocodiles. All about crocodiles uh, in the Okavango Delta. and And, in fact, overseas, the second one. This is a real magical experience. Obviously, technology has also progressed so much in the last few years. And so the... The footage and the color grading, it really immerses you into this underwater experience. And then obviously the focus of it is the relationship between Craig and the octopus, which is, you know, out of this world. It's mm-hmm. it's nothing that just happens on a regular basis. So no. it's I think the difference maybe between the, the films I've worked with Craig on before compared to this one is that it was an incredible team who all brought their A game. And it was an international team of people from Amsterdam and the UK and America and South Africa. And it was 
a privilege to work on, really. <laughs> Just to get some background to Craig, am I right in saying I, I've heard this said that this film is extra special because he apparently was suffering from a major attack of burnout. Mm, and one of the only ways he could get back on track was to go back to his roots where he used to wander around, was it the Okabango, mm. and S- swim. Yeah, so he's been a filmmaker for a couple of decades and I guess the the pace and the just the intensity of being in that industry where he's doing multiple films at the same time, all overlapping each other, and they all take multiple years to produce. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just in, in the film, he explains a little bit about how that burnout came to be. And he just never wanted to see another edit suite in his life. <laughs> uh, and it was it was going into nature and getting back to just spending time with nature and in the wild that really sort of helped him to reset his body and his mind. He he never planned on making My Octopus Teacher. It wasn't a film that was scripted or anything like that. He just sort of eventually started taking his camera with him and then this relationship formed and then they started making a movie. Gosh. And for you who wrote the music, I said at the beginning your ability to understand emotion and enhance the story of each production. So this is the compliment bit now. Oh, thank you. (laughs) The music, I think, really makes it. I mean, visually, obviously, it's an extraordinary thing to observe. But the music adds such atmosphere. It it was it struck me knowing that I was going to talk to you. I thought (laughs) I I better listen carefully. (laughs) Do you see the film first and then write the music? So it's interesting with this project, I got involved quite early on, which was I was very excited about. Mm. Every project is different. And I, some projects, I get the final finished film and I would have like three weeks to do the, the score in. This one, I think I may have the dates wrong, but I was brought in sort of two years before the release date. Um, and in that stage, it was just very short clips where I could get an idea of the film and I got a rough draft of the script, the storyline. And myself and another composer, Matt Dennis, who at the time we were working together, we sort of sketched out a few tracks, which they then used in the edit, and and some of them ended up in the film and some didn't. So it was it was wonderful getting to be in on the story and in on the process so early on because mm-hmm. we got to evolve with the film. And I think that was part of the magic of being able to develop a language because we had time to do it, not just, oh, we need music <laughs> for the weeks, film, three yeah. weeks here, you know, <laughs> ABC, and you just tick the boxes. Well, let's have a sample. Your hmm. first music track, I've asked you to bring in music from the film. I'm sure you've got lots of music that you would have liked <laughs> to have brought him, but I think it's important to hear what you've written. And all your music is from the film, isn't it, it that it you've is. chosen? Yes. So just explain what we're going to hear, first of all, now. So this first song is called pretty extraordinary things and it's from a part in the movie where Craig is talking about the incredible things he was witnessing some of it new to science some of it never caught on film before just the interesting behaviors and the shapes that she creates it's the one funny part towards the end he starts talking about her mimicking kelp and he says she sort of evolves into this old lady in a dress <laughs> yes, I remember that. so you might hear it's that part <laughs> in the music you might hear it now
There you are. Now you have a good idea of the atmosphere that's created in the film My Octopus Teacher. That was a track from the soundtrack called Pretty Extraordinary Things. The music written by Kevin Smuts for this award-winning documentary put together by Craig Foster and which is creating quite a ripple of excitement. In fact, more than a ripple, you've won a few awards, haven't you, Kevin? Sure. I mean, we won the it's called the Grand Teton Award at uh, Jackson Wild, which is basically the best film at the festival at Jackson Wild 2020. We won Best Editing and Best Science and Nature and Best People and Nature. And th- those were the three awards that they had told us beforehand, uh, before they had the award ceremony that we had won. And they did the award ceremony over Zoom because of COVID and yes. no one could be there. But they didn't tell us that we'd won best film. And so it was a complete like explosion, uh, you know, when, when they told us that we'd won best film. And that film festival is just mind blowingly huge uh, in the, in the documentary nature world. Do you know how it is doing worldwide? Has it caught on? Is it Absolutely. everybody's sort of favorite thing? Yeah. So strangely enough, Pippa, the co-director told me recently that India is, is a big territory where it's, it's really starting to explode. Mm. Um, but worldwide, this, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres tweeted about it and Diana Ross tweeted about it. And, you know, it's just <laughs> the kind of thing that we, none of us expected any of this was going to happen. Even Jane Goodall sent us a message, well, through her foundation saying, you know, just wanted to let you know that Jane really enjoyed my octopus teacher. And, you know, our heads are sort of exploding <laughs> thinking that Jane Goodall watched our documentary. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so it's um, w- when we finished, we were very proud of this production. We we thought we'd we'd all done a good job, but none of us were ready for the response from the audience. What a know. wonderful feeling that must be for really, you as well, really especially is. as you said, having worked on it for so long, mm. and also as you also said, there was no script or anything, so mm. the film kind of developed as it went along, didn't it? I mean, he Craig didn't realize he's going to meet an octopus no. that would eventually be crawling over his hands and on his chest, exactly. completely trusting him. Absolutely. And it's got a bit of a thriller feel to it as well because there are those frightening scenes with a shark trying to find the octopus. Exactly. Yeah, two shark attacks in the film. And even bit one of the tentacles off. Absolutely. That was one of the heart-wrenching parts of the film because mm. at that stage you have no idea, is she going to survive the night, let alone, you know, regenerate an arm which, which, happens. <laughs> which happens and I didn't know that octopus could do that and it's funny as well that you think of an octopus as a huge thing I suppose from old science fiction films but mm. this octopus was what the size of his hand more or less yeah so almost the actual body like, yeah without the the legs the, I yeah, guess yeah. yeah so it's almost like a very small cat or dog and he sort of can hold it in his arms like a little baby yes. and, and you do think of octopuses as being these ginormous things and the fact that he discovered it was as we've said sheer coincidence he yes. went diving for whatever reason yeah and there was an octopus that caught his attention exactly yeah it was the octopus that 
he sort of noticed was taking an interest in him mm. and all of a sudden he went back to the same place every day he had committed to well once he had sort of made friends with this octopus he committed he committed to diving in the same place every day and he's been doing it ever since you know for years and years diving every day just off and the, the octopus would wait for him in yes. in the little under the rock there waiting exactly for him. in her den so with with the actual music, I noticed. I mean, obviously you use electronic stuff as well mm. to give it a kind of um, an ambient feel. Yes. But I noticed, for example, you quite liked the sound of the cello here yes. and there, because it does have an orchestral feel to it, doesn't it? Mm. But presumably, it's all electronic. So the majority of the score was produced electronically with samples of real instruments. So mm. it's amazing what you can do with technology <laughs> these <laughs> yes, days. You can, yeah, you can sample a, a whole orchestra and then play it on your keyboard. There were two or th I guess three live elements in it. The solo cello is a live uh, solo cello that was played by Barbara Kennedy, who's oh, a yes, Cape, we know, Cape Town yes. cellist. And then the vocal bits was Matt Dennis, the other composer who contributed a couple of tracks to the film. And the, there are some very small sprinklings of live percussion here and there, which were added by Ronan Skillen, who's mm -hmm. a Cape Town percussionist. Gosh. What I also notice is that the music goes right through the film. There's hardly ever a frame mm -hmm. where there is no music. The music is an integral part of the atmosphere and the feel of the whole thing. Totally. I mean, when, you, when you're dealing with an underwater story, all of the sound basically in the film is recreated because when you're down there, you don't actually hear all that much and cameras certainly don't. Um, and so when the suckers on her tentacles are leaving his fingers, yes, you, hear it. You, you hear it and that's all recreated in post-production afterwards. Oh no, I thought yeah. it was real. Yeah, so, so we, we had really, we've, we've been um, nominated and possibly awarded, you know, sound design awards and, mm -hmm. and things. So definitely it's, it's, a, it's an immersive experience and we chose specific moments in the film to have no music. It was, everything was considered and everything was planned to kind of support the story and, mm -hmm. and to not tell you what to feel, but to sort of just enhance that emotion. Or, or How long did it take you to to do it, to write the music and put it together for this film? It must have been sure. a lot of studio time. Yes. It's hard, hard to guess because in the beginning it was just a few scenes here or there, so I wasn't working intensely, but my brain was mulling over it even in the, in the gaps between. Maybe four or five months of, of intense work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at the end, it always feels like a rush to the finish. Yes. But it's wonderful to to listen back after you finish something and go like, whew, guys, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> or to sit in a cinema with you and watch it, mm. the whole thing. And I have to say to people who want to go and watch it, it makes a big difference if you happen to watch in stereo, yes, yeah, uh, which I'm fortunate enough to have, and um, I was very aware of your spatial placing of instruments and sounds. It's right. a very big, what's the word, screen of sound, yes, w yeah. a w widescreen sound. Yeah. If that makes sense, yes. do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So Barry Donnelly did the sound design and final mix in his very fancy studio at the waterfront, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, it is a surreal experience to to have that surround sound experience where the you know the octopus almost you you feel like you're underwater. Yes, yeah. and you can so you hear the octopus moving past you Ex exactly past you from left to right. Yeah. <laughs>
It's like a little boy playing with folk. <laughs> anyway, let's have another piece of music. Sure. Um, Kevin, what's, what's your next? And this is from the film again. Yes. So this next piece is called First Contact, which no prizes uh, for <laughs> guessing where that's from. So basically, the octopus was curious in the beginning, but eventually she reaches out to touch Craig um, and interact with him. And so there's this first moment where she makes contact, and that's really where the almost love story begins. So it's one of the main themes from the film, and you'll hear in the beginning it's a bit tentative, and then eventually it becomes really warm and emotive, and that's where they actually are in contact with one another. You see, immersed in the world of the octopus, my mm. octopus teacher, that track from the film soundtrack, First Contact, written by my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, Kevin Smuts, an award-winning film score composer and who's certainly been something of a hit with this particular film. And, Kevin, I think it's time now we found a bit about your background because you studied at UCT, didn't you? But music was always going to be part of your life, was it? Yeah. I actually imagine music just being a passion on the side. I, I started out studying business science and I was going to become an accountant and, you know, get a real job. And uh, <laughs> And yes. then it was really... After two years of that, where I was like, I don't think I can get up every day and do that for the rest of my life, that I decided to switch paths and study film and music. And it was really 
after the job shadow with Grant McLaughlin that allowed me to think, hey, maybe I can do this as a living. I had done those first few minutes on Craig's film Shark Man and he liked it and I, I found it really easy to, you know, discuss things with the director and I was like, Wow, I'm I didn't study this yet, but maybe I should. <laughs> you know, so it was Tell me about Grant McLaughlin. I mean, we know who he is, and he's been a guest here on People of Note as well. He clearly had a big impact on you early on. Absolutely. So I was at school where he adjudicated a, a composing competition and gave me first prize. And it was a little bit after that, I sort of emailed him and said, can I just come and see what your studio looks like? Can I, you know, I'll make tea and coffee, you know, I'll do whatever. <laughs> I just want to see how it all happens. And he was doing the score for the South African movie Faith Like Potatoes at the time. And he said, actually, I could use someone to press play and pause on the click track for the orchestra. And I need someone to set out the chairs and stuff. So would you be that composer's assistant? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> what an opportunity. Yeah, absolute yeah. huge opportunity. And it was re he, he did mentor me for a few months after that, just showing me the ropes and allowing me to use his his old computer to kind of use some of the software he was using and, and get my head around it all. And yeah, it was a wonderful beginning to my career. So did you want at that early stage, because you are still a young man, want to be a film composer? You didn't want to write pop songs or symphonies or concertos? Or no, I've, I've always been drawn to film music. So I have a library of I don't know how many hundred uh, film soundtracks that I've listened to over over the last many years. And I was drawn to that sound that sort of it's a modern orchestral sound, but it's not modern in terms of jarring harmony and that kind of modern. It's it's a contemporary yeah, it's uh, generally fairly sound. lush isn't it, it? absolutely and, and colorful mm. mostly and w were you influenced by any films or film composers wow. since you i mean you say wow i'm yeah. sure there must be lots. many yeah does anyone suddenly spring to mind i must say that i think thomas newman would have to be right up there uh i was blown away to get an email a couple of days ago from his music editor for 30 years, Bill Bernstein, who, who just said, I just wanted to, you know, congratulate you on the music for my octopus teacher. And I almost fell off my chair <laughs> thinking that someone who's worked with my music hero for 30 years thought my music was good. And that Congratulations, sort of, yeah, blew yeah. me away. I'm trying to think what uh, Thomas Newman might have done. Remind me of a film that he's done? American Beauty, Finding Nemo, uh, Road to Perdition, many, many that I can't even. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the spotlight now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes have arguments here, uh, Kevin, with one or two of my colleagues who are film fanatics, film score fanatics, where I sort of say, well, sometimes it doesn't work away from the film, where you would have a sequence that is sort of nebulous and mm -hmm. is not doesn't work on its own. It needs the visual side. But yet I fully understand that there are lots of film music that works on its own. And do you know what I mean? And would would you agree with me? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting now that um, film music has become popular outside of just being something that's attached to a piece of, of image imagery. Yes, yes. Uh, now you'll find when a series or a movie becomes popular, 
often that production team and that composer will take the score on the road, as it were, and they'll have a live orchestra playing to packed out arenas of people just who are fans of the thing and they'll have maybe some Im- imagery from the film but not necessarily tied to this the scene that we're listening to mm. just to have that complete experience but just to have that film music that people have become so attached to and yes. especially when you've got a, a big theme by someone like John Williams or or, or Hans Zimmer and you know and then you're like oh my goodness I can't believe I'm listening <laughs> to this live yeah you know? I don't know if you've seen so on Instagram and elsewhere John Williams conducted the Vienna Philharmonic yeah the great Vienna Philharmonic in the Star Wars theme and the Imperial March and it was so fascinating to see that audience and that orchestra yeah really quite riveted by his by his style and technique Absolutely. and music. Yeah, I mean, there is something special about music that is almost you can't explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's There's a magic to it and people, as you say, are riveted by it, but they also there's, because it creates emotion, they get attached to things of and course. so Star Wars wouldn't be what it what it is without John Williams score yes. ET wouldn't be this what it is without John Absolutely. Williams's score and and even though a lot more modern uh, films these days don't have those overly memorable themes uh, they still evoke that emotion that people are like very tied to and would one be able to listen to my octopus teacher without the film? Hmm. That's an interesting question because <laughs> it's something I wanted to do. I was chatting to Netflix about before things launched mm. and they said, well, we'll see, we'll see. And then after the first month of, of octopus teacher doing so well globally, they were like, right, we're ready to release the soundtrack and stuff. So actually we're busy discussing that at the moment. And I don't know how soon it will be, but hopefully in the next month. Gosh, that will be, that'll be a lovely bonus. It will be incredible. Let's hear some more music from my octopus teacher, Kevin Smuts, who wrote the music for for the film. What are we going to hear now? Great. So the next piece I brought is called Octopus Joy. And there's an incredible part in the film where Craig is is almost, I want to say, dancing with the octopus. He's swimming alongside her and then she comes and lands on his hand and they just have this incredible interaction. And it was filmed by his son just while they were diving one day. And Craig is talking about how he's not sure why an octopus would interact with him. What what is the octopus getting from all of this? And he thinks because of her incredible intelligence that she gets some kind of enjoyment and joy from this all. And so this is it's a largely solo piano piece, but there are some subtle strings mixed in there. Thank you. 
That's a track from the film soundtrack, My Octopus Teacher Called Octopus Joy. And as I've been telling you, Kevin Smuts, who wrote the music, is my guest on People of Note this week. And, Kevin, you know, we spoke about Grant McLaughlin, but you seem to have been lucky with the people you've met and who've actually invited you to do little bits for them. For example, Trevor Jones, who had an extraordinary career in Hollywood and then came back and now settled in Cape Town. And you've worked a lot with him and assisted him, haven't you? Yeah, so um, that was an interesting meeting that actually also happened through Craig, funnily enough. Craig and his brother were producing this film called My Hunter's Heart, um, and it follows a Bushman hunter who, you know, in modern day is trying to still carry on the ways uh, of his ancestors, and he can only become a man and become a hunter by killing his first animal. And so it's it's that incredible journey. And I was supposed to score that that documentary or that film, and then bigger producers got involved and they had a bigger budget and so they thought let's phone Trevor Jones and ask him to do it and so it was an incredible opportunity for me I mean I mean I wasn't sad to lose the job because I knew that I might be able to assist Trevor Jones at the recording because I never get to work with live orchestras but he got to work with the live orchestra so then I could assist him but there's an Abbey Road connection as well isn't there Andrew Dudman was the sound engineer for that for that recording, and he actually came out from Abbey Road. We recorded it in Stellenbosch and uh, had a local orchestra. Um, and, yeah, that was also an incredible experience to work with him. And, I mean, another name, here we are banding names about, but that's what we do for <laughs> people to note. I mean, a Grammy Award-winning and Oscar-nominated arranger and composer, Jeremy Lubbock, who, incidentally, has also been on People of Note. Ah. So there you are. And he has well has settled in Cape Town, and he's had an extraordinary career. Absolutely. I mean, the stories he's told me of sort of him playing in a bar and then Frank Sinatra walks in. You know, it's it's the, that kind of thing. And when I, for the first time that I, I went to work with him in his studio, he put some headphones on me and he, he asked for my opinion on something. And I sort of recognized the voice and then I definitely recognized the voice and it was Stevie Wonder and then it was Andrea Bocelli and he's like, so I'm doing this arrangement and they're going to be singing together and what do you think of that? And and he's talking about Stevie like it's his friend, you know, <laughs> yes. and, and I'm just a little bit mind blown because all around his room there are these golden platinum records of Michael Jackson and Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand and like just just all the names that you know he's done string arrangements for them mm. it's 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 rather mind blowing and so for for quite a few years i helped jeremy in his studio just with the technical side of things because when he was living and working in London and LA he had assistance there and so when he came to Cape Town it was actually Grant that was initially helping him and Grant was too busy so he put me on to Jeremy and that's how that's you. I've been incredibly <laughs> blessed but just yeah. let me ask you this did you is, is the piano your instrument so I did I've done piano for the longest but mm-hmm. at school my main instrument was the trumpet and then I did, uh, I've been in choirs and I did some vocal training. But you well. were also part of a Cape Town brass setup, weren't you? That's true. Yeah, I was with Cape Town Concert Brass um, in the back row of Cornets. Um, <laughs> so I love playing the trumpet, but I don't get that much opportunity to mm-hmm. play it. And I definitely use keyboard and piano the most. And on the technical side, working in the studio with editing and the various sort of software you get today, mm. are you quite at home doing that and enjoy that very much as well? Absolutely. You know, when I 
started, uh, YouTube wasn't a thing. And so you couldn't just hop on and get a tutorial. You sort of had to just <laughs> figure your way around it. And, and if you were lucky, the software had a DVD with a video tutorial on it. But really, I'm the kind of learner that likes to just jump in and fail my way through it and, and figure it out. And, and so that's been how I've... So do you have your own studio at home? I do. It's, it's a very small studio at home, which is crazy to think that Jackson Wilde, I was nominated for Best Score, but I lost out to Hans Zimmer and Jacob Shea, who had a BBC budget <laughs> and live orchestra and Good stuff. So, so it just kind of blows my mind to think that I could have been even compared in that same category. Um, so that's a huge honor for me. You do sound wonderfully humble, I have to say, <laughs> because this film, My Octopus Teacher, has clearly thrust you into the limelight more than anything else, actually. Absolutely. Would you agree? Absolutely. And your music and your, your style and everything. Yeah, it it seems a bit of a dream and, and surreal because, of course, it's the most recent thing I've done. So I've improved over the last 10, 11, 12 years. But it's not like I try to do something different. You know, I just always, with every project, I try and do my best work. I try and do the best job. But as I said in the beginning of the interview, it was an incredible team from all around the world putting together and all of them bringing such a game. And it just this magic fit together. It just, yeah, it it's really sounds, I have yeah. to say it sounds wonderful. And I'm sure that's why the film has such a good feel about it on, on just about every level. Mm. OK, another track from the film. Great. So this one features the solo cello a little bit more. Um, so that's Barbara Kennedy, who was fantastic in the live session. Um, this is called The Big Relief. And it's after the shark attack where the octopus loses a leg. And all of a sudden, Craig notices this tiny little leg that's that's replacing it. And it's an amazing thing to to think that this octopus can go through an incredible trauma of the shark attack, lose a leg and then regenerate and, and heal over time. And so it's a longer track where we see her journey of, of healing.
was called The Big Relief from the film My Octopus Teacher and the music written by Kevin Smuts, who, as you know, is my guest on People of Note this week. Kevin, we're running out of time here. You mentioned the moment where they met for the first time in the octopus pit, and you mentioned the shark attack and thing. But one of the sequences I thought was quite extraordinary was where the octopus in hiding gets on the shark's back. Ridiculous. How on earth were they managed? I mean, how do you capture that? That's a once uh, in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Because yeah. it was actually hiding on the back of the shark and rode with the shark. Yeah. So it was, it was during the shark attack where the shark has her in its mouth, but she's protecting herself with shells and all sorts of things she's picked up. And all of a sudden, Craig needs to go up to get breath. And so we don't see what's happening. And all of a sudden, he comes back down and she's riding on the back <laughs> of a shark. It is like you just think, what? OK, I've seen it all now. It's a kind of Steven Spielberg moment in that film, E.T., with the flying over the moon or whatever, Absolutely. the flying theme. It gives you that sense of exhilaration Yes, as you see this octopus on the back of this evil shark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so many special scenes were created like that, and we don't want spoilers. Sure. But he follows the octopus right up to when she gives birth, doesn't she? To, yeah. And he holds what she thinks and hopes, but yeah, he doesn't hopes. know for sure, is one of the babies. Yeah. Isn't that a lovely little Incre- emotional touch? Yeah, and you, you think this is nature we're dealing with. We're mm-hmm. not scripting this. We're not telling the octopus, you need to go here, you need to have a baby now. And then, I mean, the story... It's hard to imagine that it wasn't scripted, but this is real life. This is happening just off our coast. <laughs> I know. That's the other extraordinary yeah. thing. It's right here. It's right here in Cape Town. Gosh. And then there's the kelp forests where literally there are forests of kelp that he has to swim through yeah. and through which the octopus can well hide and skim exactly. away. It's an amazing, diverse ecosystem that the, basically the purpose of the film is to try and protect it. And so they, they've dubbed it the Great African Sea Forest. And basically we're trying to get yeah, people to interact with nature and to love nature so that we'll want to keep it. I think Craig Foster has achieved that rather spectacularly. We have to leave it there, Kevin, because I hope, well, certainly that we've whet people's appetite to look at this film because it really is a treat on many levels. Mm. It's thought-provoking. It's psychological. It's it's emotional. It's exhilarating. And then there's the music. (laughs) (laughs) Let's end with another track from your soundtrack. Yeah, so this one is called There She Is, and... There's a point in the movie where Craig frightens her by dropping one of his camera lenses. And for a couple of weeks, he he can't find her in the same spot. And he employs some of the, the tracking tactics that he learned in the Kalahari. He starts figuring out how to track underwater. And eventually, he finds her and says, there she is. Yeah, and isn't that a lovely moment it's as well? An, yeah, it's a very delicate moment. As yeah. you can hear, Kevin, I've been very taken by this film, which I've only just seen. It was a treat to watch, and it's been a treat to talk to you, Thank you. someone so closely associated with it, and also to hear your music. And I'm <laughs> going to watch it again. How about that? <laughs> okay, let's listen. There she is, the last piece. And Kevin, thanks very much, and look forward to your next film. Kevin Smuts, an award-winning film score composer specializing in musical films. And as I said, he's much respected for his ability to understand emotion and thereby enhance the story of each production he works on. And that's come true. Thank you. If people of these big <laughs> names are for you. Thank you very much, Kevin Smuts. Thank you.
Well, you certainly have a good idea, I think, of the sound of the music from the film My Octopus Teacher, written by my guest on People of Note this week, Kevin Smuts. Fine Music Radio, and let's have music now. Let's stick with the theme of the sea, shall we? And what better than one of the most evocative pieces of music written about the sea, the overture The Hebrides, or Fingal's Cave, by Mendelssohn.
a performance there of the Overture of the Hebrides, or Fingal's Cave by Mendelssohn, with a Slovak Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Oliver Dochnyanyi. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR 101.9